This is A-State Connections on KASU. I'm Jonathan Reeves. This is a weekly segment called A-State Connections and Create at State, Making Connections That Count. Now, in this segment, we go back to this year's Created State Virtual Symposium to hear more presentations from the College of Nursing and Health Professions. Up first is Samuel Bentley with a presentation, Referrals for Cardiac Calcium Screening. The purpose of this project was to examine the use of routine cardiac calcium screens uh, for primary prevention in a local family practice clinic of Mountain Home, Arkansas. Heart disease causes about 600,000 deaths a year. It's the leading cause of death in both men and women. Heart disease is basically from poor lifestyle choices, such as smoking, poor diet, and lack of exercise. The symptoms can build up, the plaque builds up um, over a period of time, causing blockages that can lead to a heart attack. So with cardiac calcium screens, they're a specialized CAT scan, which takes pictures of the patient's coronary arteries, their coronary circulation, and just the overall anatomy of their heart. Uh, they offer incidental findings as well, like pulmonary nodules can be seen on these screens and can help diagnose lung cancer. So that's a benefit of calcium screens as well. They're also cheap, they're non-invasive, and they just do an overall good job with diagnosing. So the American Heart Association recommends patients uh, screening at 55 to 80 years old and patients at a younger age if they have high risks such as family history of heart disease or diabetes or hypertension and hyperlipidemia as well. So the research for this project consisted of a chart review of 50 patient charts at the local clinic in Mountain Home. Um, out of these 50 patients, they had to be 55 to 80 years old, have a history of smoking, hypertension, high cholesterol or diabetes. Uh, patients that were excluded in this exam consisted of patients that already had previous cardiac stents or heart attacks. So out of the 50 patient charts, only 18 patients had been referred for cardiac calcium screens. And out of those 18 patients, five actually had a significant risk and required heart catheterization with stents placed. Findings of this project should help providers understand the benefits of cardiac calcium screens for routine prevention. Also show providers how well they're meeting national guidelines set forth by the American Heart Association and increase the routine use of these screening tools in at-risk patients and overall decrease the number of deaths from heart disease. And that was Samuel Bentley. Next is Jonna Boggs with a presentation, Colorectal Cancer, Screening Recommendations for Women. Colorectal cancer is the third leading cause of death in the United States amongst men and women, according to the United States Preventative Services Task Force. The review is over fecal occult blood test screening measures in patients at the age of 50 to 74 years in a local primary care office of Northeast Arkansas comparative to the national standard recommended by the United States Preventative Services Task Force. The colon sheds normal and abnormal cells daily through stool. Cologuard is a fecal occult screening tool that can be used to detect certain DNA markers or blood. 
it is FDA approved. Therefore, we can see precancerous cells and cancer cells within stool studies. These stool studies can be done at the convenience of the patient at home and sent to the company by the patient. At the office, they are offered this screening. They sign forms and paperwork. And then all of this is mailed to the company and the company does notify the provider when samples are collected and when results are known. When the results are known, this allows the care provider to follow up with the patient for potential further screening options if abnormal cells are found or to set up the next appropriate screening timeframe. The method to review this was a retrospective review of 100 patient charts from January 2019 to December 2019. It was done on the Medicare wellness visits at random selection. The ICD-10 codes, which is a billing code and international classification of disease database, numbers were used. A G0438 or G0439, which is an annual wellness visit billing code was obtained. A K62.5, which is hemorrhage of anus and rectum, and a Z12.11, which is encounter for screening for malignant neoplasm of colon, was used to gather data. The inclusion criteria had to meet 50 to 74 years of age, no prior history of cancer, colorectal polyps, or first relative family history of cancer. The results within this clinic show that 60% of patients at those well screening visits or that had those ICD-10 codes were offered colorectal screening through Cologuard. 100% of patients were offered a colonoscopy, which is considered gold standard for colorectal cancer screening because it allows for visualization of the colon and can allow for some invasive testing if abnormal tissues are discovered. Along with this, the United States Presented Task Force Services does recommend annual screening and well care visits through Medicare is also offered at annual intervals. The clinic has an electronic medical record that allows them to have cues that pop up when they need to screen patients again for the colorectal screening and it also gives them the opportunity to see if a colonoscopy or other screening measures for colorectal cancer were completed or performed. Also, the results can be found within this electronic medical record system. Contribution to practice for this review was increased non-invasive screening could increase screening measures to patients. If we use a stool sample, it's done in the patient's home and allows for them to have a non-invasive screening if they are low to moderate risk, according to the United States Presented Task Force Services. The screening can also identify need for further testing if abnormal results are noted. It can assist the clinic and other local clinics in meeting national standards and screening for colorectal cancer and therefore allow us to establish an early detection plan and program for colorectal cancer. That was Jonna Boggs. Next is Kylie Claypool with the presentation, Diabetic Foot Exams. The purpose of my quality improvement project was to examine the rate at which these patients with diabetes were receiving an annual foot exam at this clinic. I felt this was an important 
important to examine as my background is actually chronic wound care. And I know the other side of what can happen with untreated diabetic foot ulcers if they're not caught early. Diabetes is the leading cause of foot ulcers and amputations. They are a huge driver of healthcare spending because they can cause significant damage and require ongoing care for months or even years. Each time a diabetic foot exam is performed, you can provide early detection of foot ulceration and sensory changes, which could lead to reducing limb-threatening complications if things are caught early. This is why the American Diabetes Association recommends a comprehensive foot evaluation at least annually to identify risk factors for ulcers and amputations. So who needs a foot exam done? Well, every patient with diabetes should have their feet inspected at every visit, ideally, and a comprehensive foot evaluation at least annually to identify risk factors for ulcers and any changes. This is an important objective from Healthy People 2020. They want to increase the rate at which patients with diabetes age 18 and older have at least one foot exam every year. The methodology used was a retrospective chart review of 50 patients with diabetes age 40 to 65 um, between the dates of January 1st, 2020 through November 5th, 2020. I reviewed approximately 50 charts and found that 39 out of the 50 charts had a documented foot exam. I did not find a correlation between age or insurance, such as Medicaid versus Medicare, um, as to why these were missed during the calendar year, but it did seem that quite a few of them that were missed had multiple comorbidities and they had been in and out of the hospital that year. I feel that my findings um, were able to benefit the clinic as I discussed with the clinic the percentage that were completed versus not completed and the complexity of those patients. Overall, I think the, the clinic did fairly well, um, but they could still improve, especially on the high acuity patients. They are at risk for being missed uh, and it'll be important to watch for those alerts that come through the electronic medical record that remind them the foot exams are due. It's important to complete these as recommended by the American Diabetes Association and Healthy People 2020. Because like I said before, prevention is key to make sure these patients don't develop an ulcer that could ultimately cost the patient their limb or their life. That was Kylie Claypool. Next is Randy Davis with a presentation, Implementation of an Evidence-Based COPD Assessment Tool in Primary Care. Chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD, is a group of diseases such as emphysema and chronic bronchitis that result in airflow blockage in the lungs and difficulty breathing. It is a chronic illness that is often diagnosed in individuals with repetitive respiratory complaints. Usually by the time a diagnosis is made, the disease course has already progressed to at least a moderate level. Because the COPD's often insidious onset, it is frequently diagnosed and treated by primary care providers. Studies have shown, unfortunately, though, that there is typically poor adherence to guideline-based COPD care for patients managed in the primary care setting. The purpose of this project is to implement an evidence-based screening tool for individuals at risk and with known diagnosis of COPD to ensure Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease or GOLD guidelines and treatment recommendations are being followed in a rural family practice clinic in Northeast Arkansas. This quality improvement project consists of a retrospective chart review pre and post implementation of provider education related to implementation of the COPD assessment test and COPD management algorithm. 
The COPD assessment test, or CAT, is a valid and reliable screening tool recommended per current gold guidelines. The setting consists of six clinic locations belonging to a group of family practice primary care clinics located in Northeast Arkansas. A convenient sample of patient records seen at participating clinic locations was utilized for this project. Inclusion criteria included individuals, both male and female, aged 40 to 75 with a history of smoking. This could be current or former smokers, as well as individuals with or without a diagnosis of COPD. Charts for each participating clinic location were reviewed prior to provider education related to the implementation of the CAT questionnaire uh, to identify percentages of active patients with documented smoking history, as well as percentage with COPD diagnosis. Post-implementation will review, will compare these percentages. This is the modified CAT questionnaire utilized for this project. As you can see, there are eight questions based on severity of symptoms. The modifications consist of the questions regarding smoking history, as well as a statement at the bottom that uh, regarding a score of 10 or above, which is considered a positive finding according to GOLD guidelines and warrants consideration of further evaluation or treatment. This questionnaire is utilized during the visit intake uh, for patients who are current or former smokers. This is the COPD management algorithm that providers were educated on. It covers selection of inhaled therapies utilized in treating COPD. It was developed in accordance with current gold guidelines. Providers were encouraged to use this algorithm to assist with the management of their patients with COPD. This is the timeline to date for the project. This is an ongoing project as all phases have not yet been completed. Uh, due to issues related to the COVID-19 pandemic as well as inclement weather this past month, as for the overall project, pre-implementation data has been obtained. Data was collected from charts for patients meeting inclusion criteria with clinical encounters between October 1st, 2020 and February 5th, 2021. For a total of 1,992 patients between all six clinic locations, 23% were documented as former smokers, 31% were current smokers, and only 10% had a documented diagnosis of COPD. It is anticipated that the percentage of patients with a documented diagnosis uh, will increase after the provider education related to implementation of the CAT screening as well as COPD management algorithm. At the time of this recording, post-implementation results are not available. Providers have been educated regarding implementation of the tools and are utilizing them in practice. Post-implementation data collection has been scheduled and final results will be available at the time of the Create a State Symposium in April. Primary care providers need to be educated on interventions targeted at earlier identification of COPD as well as improved management in accordance with current evidence-based guidelines. As a DMP prepared advanced practice nurse in the primary care setting, I have gained the leadership knowledge and skills to guide this change by not only educating other providers in the practice on the gap that exists, but also a feasible solution to address it. I have experienced growth both professionally and personally, that enables me to collaborate with management to incorporate changes within the patient encounter workflow to address this gap in care. Potential implications for practice gained from this scholarly project include earlier recognition of COPD, increased adherence to guidelines for COPD management, and improved patient outcomes within the practice. And that was Randy Davis. Next is Samantha Anderson with a presentation, A Comparative Analysis of Hepatitis C Screening. Are we missing the mark in the clinic setting? So hepatitis C is a viral infection. 
It's actually systemic in nature, and it usually goes undetected until it's in the more advanced stages. There is no vaccine currently, but there is treatment for hepatitis C. It's an oral medication therapy. It usually lasts eight to 12 weeks in nature. It can be costly depending on insurance and other eligibility criteria. So changes in the screening guidelines through the USPSTF, these changes occurred in 2013. Prior to 2013, anyone that was aged 56 to um, 75 was screened one time for hepatitis C. After 2013, the screening guideline changes uh, occurred, and now anyone that's over the age of 18 can get screened for hepatitis C for a one-time um, free charge, or more often if um, they have high-risk behaviors such as IV drug use or, or if there are other implications uh, that would indicate a need for hepatitis C testing. So the purpose is to compare the screening rates in adults. So prior to 2013, those screening guideline ages were different than the new guidelines, which is anyone that is 18 or over. And so I'm wanting to compare those two screening guidelines and see if actually the younger populations are getting screened as effectively as the older populations. Um, my hope is to educate and implement those new screening guidelines and it, hopefully it will improve um, outcomes, and if we can educate providers, patients, uh, nursing staff um, on the new guidelines according to the USPTSF, um, hopefully we can have better outcomes and more screening, effective screening for hepatitis C in the rural family clinic setting. So my methodology, I used a retrospective chart review. Um, a hundred random patient charts were pulled for analysis. Um, they were pulled based on uh, age, gender, uh, hepatitis C screening status. Um, those charts were pulled from January the 1st of 2017 through November the 18th of 2020. My exclusion criteria was anyone that had a current diagnosis of hepatitis C. So my results are actually still pending. I'm waiting on the facility to pull those charts so I can run the data to see what the significance of testing is between those two age groups with hepatitis C screenings. So contributions are providers following the USPSTF guidelines. I think that identifying if they're actually implementing those new guidelines in their office and testing those um, will hopefully improve outcomes for patients who are positive for hepatitis C so that it doesn't get to the advanced stage. So early screening prevents disease progression. So I want to make the providers aware of the new screening guidelines if they're not, and hopefully encourage them to implement them into the electronic medical record. And that was Samantha Anderson. Next is Chelsea Brinks with a presentation, Evaluation of a Rural Clinic's Compliance with Bone Density Screening in Women Age 65 and Greater. So osteoporosis is a big issue here in the United States, affecting over 12 million Americans annually, leads to fractures, chronic pain, reduced independence, and a decreased quality of life overall. Up to 30% of individuals who suffer from an osteoporotic hip fracture will not survive 12 months post-fracture, 
and 71% of all osteoporotic fractures occur in women. Due to the increased risk with age, the United States Preventative Services Task Force recommends that all women have initial bone densitometry screening at age 65 or greater. The gold standard bone densitometry screening here in the United States is DEXA scan. It's a painless procedure that can be completed in one office visit. Medicare does reimburse for DEXA screening every 24 months for individuals who are considered at risk. The purpose of my quality improvement project is to investigate the rates of DEXA screening in female patients aged 65 or greater at a clinic in Northeast Arkansas as compared to the national average for Medicare enrollees of 79.3% as reported by the United States Preventative Services Task Force. So to gather data for my quality improvement project, I performed a retrospective chart review at a family practice clinic that's located here in Northeast Arkansas. Using the clinic's electronic medical record platform, 50 patient charts were sampled from patients who had visited the clinic between January 1, 2020 and December 31st, 2020. Inclusion criteria included obviously female gender, age 65 or greater, and a record of at least one in-office visit between 1-1-2020 and 12-31-2020. Additional aggregated data included the patient's race, the last um, DEXA scan date, applicable ICD-10 coding, and whether or not the patient had documented history of osteoporosis diagnosis prior to the most recent DEXA scan. So my results, um, overall, I found a DEXA rate of 50%. That is 25 out of 50 charts that I reviewed. Um, so that data was collected from the electronic medical record and recorded, organized, and analyzed using Microsoft Office Excel statistical software. Analysis of the data, as I said, revealed a screening rate of 50%. Dif demographic data revealed that 96% or 48 out of 50 of the patients were white, 2%, one out of 50 were Hispanic, and 2%, one out of 50 were black. DEXA screening rate for the white females was 52%, 25 out of 48, 100% for Hispanics, one out of one, and 100% for black females, one out of one. Of the cohort, 16% or eight out of 50 had documented history of osteoporosis diagnosis prior to the most recent documented DEXA scan. So the results of my quality improvement project provide valuable statistical, statistical data that may be used by providers at this clinic, managers at this clinic to improve upon the DEXA screening rate in women age 65 or greater here in Northeast Arkansas. Increasing this DEXA screening rate in this patient population will identify those at risk for falls, osteoporotic fractures, and decreased quality of life. Decreasing this fall and risk fracture in this patient population will decrease the rate of osteoporotic fractures or result in preservation of independence, decrease chronic pain, like I said, an increased quality of life, and overall better outcomes. And that was Chelsea Brinks. Now, to hear more segments like this one, you can subscribe to the Credit State Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. 
and take KASU with you wherever you go and listen to podcast segments on the new KASU mobile app. And also, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that gets the podcast out to more ears. Of course, we'd always love to hear from you. You're listening to A-State Connections on KASU. I'm Jonathan Reeves.